Hello everybody, I am Mike Stein, and I am excited today to bring you the very first episode of Talkin' TV. Before we get into Season 4 of Arrested Development, I want to give a quick rundown of what to expect from this podcast. So it's really it's really all in the name. It's going to be me talking about TV. Format-wise, you can expect episodes such as today, where I take a look at an individual season of a television show. You can also expect episodes where I take a look at series as a whole. And you can also expect episodes where I highlight an individual character or individual episode, individual plot line, something such as that that maybe I just personally enjoy or I feel is underrated or has kind of gotten lost in the in the whole scheme of either a show or season. Let's begin our first season in review of one of my favorite seasons of television, of one of my favorite television shows ever, season four of Arrested Development, slash season four, remix, Fateful Consequences. The first topic I want to talk about today is the idea of the original season four being too tailored to the hardcore Arrested Development fan. The more I've thought about this, the more I tend to agree with it. Season 4 is is a challenge in its original format. And the analogy I've come up with that I believe fits here is that Mitch issued season four as a challenge to the viewer it's it's a puzzle that the viewer has to piece together during your first your first viewing you start to gather up the puzzle pieces this is what michael's doing this is what george michael's doing this is how maybe oh they cross over here and then as you begin your rewatches those puzzle pieces begin to fall into place oh, this is where they all start to cross over at Cinco, or this is when Tobias and Lindsay War and maybe we're all in India together. Stuff like that. So, I think that, as I said, the original season four is a challenge in the form of a puzzle. And to continue that idea, the remix of season four is... The solution to the puzzle. So I can see how a casual fan of either this individual show or of television in general would be put off by a format such as this. They're not looking to solve a mystery or put a puzzle together. They're watching TV because they want to sit back and well, watch TV, which is fair. That's what most TV is, and that's what most people are looking for out of TV. That's just not what 
season four of Arrested Development is. One last thing to this, the idea that season four was really tailored to the hardcore fan. Um, this might make some people angry, but wasn't isn't Arrested Development, isn't the whole idea of the show is that it's for the hardcore fans? Isn't it one of the first real cult-like shows where, I mean, that's why they got canceled on Fox originally. There just wasn't enough people watching. They've never cared about the casual fan. You know, they've always cared about just making the best television show possible. And I think that's what they are going for, obviously, in season four. Let's begin our discussion of the remix itself. The remix is incredibly different than the original outside of most of the footage, I suppose. But one of the bigger differences is the editing itself. There are a lot more edits here, obviously, as you're not with one character the whole time, and they had to edit multiple characters into single episodes. Um, this also leads to one of the bigger differences I've noticed was the transitions. The transitions here were... They were really great. They were quick. You'd go from one character to the next with a, a quick one-liner. And this was this made it, as a viewing experience, very smooth. It was a very smooth transition to go from George Michael to Job all of a sudden, who's in a completely different plot. It's interesting how they did this, because you would think that'd be something that would be incredibly jarring, where you'd go from one character to a completely different character. But they did it really well by having these just simple little one-liners that really ease the pain of going from one to the next. Along with this, there were a lot of a lot of recap information in some of these transitions. These are not only in between characters, but in between episodes. Uh, and especially as it's a very bingeable show, I think it's meant to be binged. On this, there's just so much packed into a lot of these recaps. It's it's nice on one front because you never feel lost with the plot as you definitely do when watching the original. But sometimes it really takes you out of the flow of the of the show. You can skip these recaps, the ones at the beginning of episodes. However, if you do skip the recap, sometimes you'll miss a quick little joke or what's supposed to be the cold opener at the end of the recap. There might be anywhere from a 5 or 30 seconds of non-recap footage in which you get a joke that uh, will lead into the intro theme. So that's that's a little bit of a bummer. However, as I said, the the... The upside of that is you do, you never feel lost. I mean, you are constantly updated. Every time you see a character on screen, you get recapped of whatever the last time you saw them, whatever they were doing. I have a problem, though, as I was binging with just, there's just too much, too much sometimes. There's one in particular I remember where at the end of one episode, George Sr. is talking to Michael it's the discussion about signing over George Sr.'s rights and they're trading back and forth. 
George Sr. wins. Michael, the push for the wall with Herbert Love. And Michael wants his rights, and they keep going back and forth. You see this at the end of one episode. And then the very beginning of the next episode is a recap of what exactly would just happen in that, what you just saw. Which, again, is fine and all if you're just watching one every now and then. But as you're binging, this can become a tad annoying. This does lead me to my next point of, I think, I don't know, this might be a hot take, but I think the original season four may have been easier to digest than the remix. Each character's individual plot. Now, the overall plot, no, completely not. The remix is a thousand times more easier. It puts the puzzle all together for you. I think this might go back to some of you don't need you just don't need all that explaining every time you see a character on screen like you do in the remix. You don't get that two minute narration every time in the original of, hey, this is what you just this is what the character did the last time you saw him. Let's talk about some of the actual changes that were made here to the remix content wise. One in particular that I noticed was the fake block plot with George Michael. The progression happens very differently. In the original, you you're you're really led to believe that fake block is a real privacy and anti-piracy software. All the way up till episode 13, I believe, the first George Michael episode. Whereas in the remix, you know in episode 10, I believe, of 23, so halfway through in the remix, you're in on the joke. It's just, it's different. I'm not saying, I'm not sure if one is better than the other. On one, the payoff, the original, it kind of goes back to the idea of the original in the whole beginning, is it's just a longer payoff. And I guess it's the same thing with Fake Block, with the plot here, it's just a microcosm of that where the payoff is just very delayed to that in the original. Whereas in the remake, you get to run with the joke. You get to be in on the joke the whole through the rest of the season. So that is kind of, that's just a different way to view it. It's nice. It's the same joke, but two different ways. Which is kind of honestly how I felt about the remix in general. It, it kind of felt like it had assumed that you had to watch the original. Another change that people have been pointing out online has is that there there are more buster scenes i don't know if i noticed the amount of buster scenes being more or less i think people are thinking this more because they see them more interspersed at the beginning and the middle of the season the original buster really really doesn't play too heavy into the scenes until the I mean his episode is very late and then he doesn't play into the main other plots until pretty late in them as well but there uh, there really wasn't a ton of Buster content in the original though he only got one episode whereas a lot of the other characters got two anyway so I don't know if I noticed that but I did enjoy that Buster was more interspersed throughout I love Buster um, he, he, he definitely adds a different flavor as you're watching the rest of the characters. Another difference would be that they didn't 
explicitly show that Lindsay is going to run in place of Herbert Love at the end of the season. However, the season five trailer did come out today and it appears that Lindsay will in fact be running for some sort of office. And lastly, probably the biggest technical difference between the remix and the original is all the added narration. They had Ron Howard do a lot of new narrated scenes, either to cover better for crossover plots from the original or to smooth a lot of the transitions and the cuts for this new remix. They're really great. He add, They added some great new one-liners, uh, classic Ron Howard. I believe I've covered most of the changes that I noticed during my watch through. I'm sure there's some I missed. Feel free to comment on anything and everything I missed, I'm sure. So the next question I wanted to get to was, if you are a first-time watcher of Arrested Development, which version of Season 4 should you watch? Honestly, while I'm a huge proponent of the original Season 4, and would tell any hardcore fan of the show to definitely watch the original first, I think I'd watch tell just a normal viewer to watch the remix first. It's just so much more accessible and much more understandable. And then if I tell them if they really enjoyed the remix, go and watch the original next. It it really does clear things up for individual characters. And while it's the same story, it's it's just told in such a different way that makes it funny in 10 different kinds of ways. Plus, a rewatch of Season 4 original is so much better than a first watch of Season 4 original. Just the fact that you already have all the puzzle pieces after watching the remix and a general idea of how they go together. It made watching the Season 4 original so much better. Since it's it'd technically be your second watch through, but even though it would be your first watch of the original... So yeah, actually, I think I've talked myself into that. Watch the remix first, and then watch the original after. Before we get to the award segment of this presentation, I want to highlight a theory that I find incredibly intriguing. Here's the theory. Michael and George Michael are not, in fact, father and son, but actually brothers. Let's begin the defense of this theory with a line from Ron Howard. Well, it's about the whole family. Then? We're going to need everybody's signature on these releases in order to make this story. Although the real heartbeat of this thing is the father-son dynamic. We hear that the show that he's trying to produce, an Arrested Development show, that it is in fact, about a boy and his father, which Michael initially thinks is about him and Senior, but in fact, it's about Michael and George Michael. Building on this, when attempting to cast the Arrested Development show, Michael wants to cast Rebel Alley as Tracy. Michael sees Rebel as Tracy, thus suggesting 
that events that have happened before may happen again. Continuing with this and the idea of Rebel, her red hair will certainly play a large factor in this. Tracy had red hair. We know that George Sr. prefers red hair. And we know that Michael and George Michael both prefer red hair, as we both hear them say. Now, gentlemen, start your engines. Gentlemen, start your engines. After seeing Lindsay in the red wig. So, George Sr., Michael, and George Michael all have the same taste in women. Now let's look at an interesting line that Michael seems to repeat throughout the season. My point is we have no secrets from each other. We know everything there is to know about each other. We're like twins. I don't see us as twins. Yeah? You name me one way in which we're different. Knowing this show, they don't just choose words with no reason. So, examining the word twins. In the show, when have we seen twins outside of the hilarious George Michael twin vote here in season four? Which, again, could go back playing into this theory that they thought he was a twin. But looking at the prominent twins in the series, we have George and Oscar, who have spawned an illegitimate child between the two and Buster. And at one point in the show, Michael and Lindsay thought they were twins. And if they're if George, Michael, and Michael are just like twins, just like how Michael and Lindsay were just like twins, then they probably aren't related how they thought they were. Plus, just like George and Oscar, there's probably a an illegitimate child in the mix. And speaking of the dorm vote, remember when we see George Michael's actual vote on the paper he has the word dad crossed out and he replaced it with just Michael. An interesting coincidence, maybe. Continuing with the theme of the dorm vote, when discussing how to actually make the vote happen in Michael's favor, he says, And it's adios, brother arrow. Which is Michael's attempt at saying goodbye, brother. And first of all, we know the Bluth brothers have trouble with the word brother in foreign languages with hermano in the first season so that could be a connection and who ends up getting voted out of the dorm michael goodbye brody arrow goodbye brother let's look at a couple more suggestive lines i would have told you that he and i were exactly the same that we were twins you know but now i wouldn't even think of my son as my brother Although, in fairness, this is something a Bluth brother would do. This is Michael speaking to Ron Howard outside of the photo booth where George Michael is fooling around with Rebel. Very similarly to how Michael fooled around with Rebel in the same photo booth. Twins? Lucille talking to Michael. George Maharis. George! That's your brother's name, this line becomes quite suspicious when put next to this line. Well, it was your mother's idea to call you George Michael. 
you know? And I think it was just so that we didn't confuse you with your Uncle George or your grandfather, George. Right. I got it. Let's call you Boy George. This line becomes especially suspicious because of the fact that he would be called a Boy George, not Boy Michael. Entirely by Tracy's decision. So, this testing that Tracy was very fond of George Sr., which, again, this all leads me to believe that Tracy did, in fact, have sex with George Sr. and fathered George Michael. So is there evidence of the fact that Tracy was was into George Sr., that there was a connection there? And I say, I say yes, from one, and back in season two, George was caught wearing her maternity clothes when he was staying in the attic and later even puts on her perfume. A, another piece of evidence is this line from George Sr. to Michael in the most recent season. Fat Tracy or thin Tracy at the end. This shows that George Sr. certainly at least noticed Tracy's looks and seems to have a fondness for her being thin. This shows that George Sr. certainly at least noticed Tracy's looks and seems to have a fondness for her being thin. Lastly, in season four, we see a commercial for Baby Talk in which we see George Sr., we see Tracy, and we see an infant George Michael. There's no Michael to be seen. I just thought that was interesting as well. So I'll leave you with one last clip that kind of plays into this theory. And when we come back, we'll get to the awards portion of the show. Did I not tell you that we were alike, exactly alike? This is just horrifying. too funny. This brings us to our awards portion of our presentation. The first award I want to discuss is the best main plotline of the season, really restricting this to main characters. I had three in particular that came to mind. I'll speak of the two that did not win first. Uh, first of all, the roofie circle with Job, and rather dark, especially for Arrest Development. It really did remind me of the Graf versus Host plotline from season three with Tobias, especially when it got to the near to the end and Job was really breaking down from his stage four syphilis. I thought that was excellent, especially with how it connected to getaway and the idea of getting away. I thought that was great. The other major plotline that will be a runner up for this award is. Tobias and Debris. Honestly, this wasn't one of my top ones in the original, but I think I just got, I wouldn't say burnt out, but again, numb, as I discussed earlier, too. Just how terrible Tobias was being to Debris. Let's just take an example of it when they're rehearsing the making of the Fantastic Four play. And... Tobias makes her the invisible girl and she's seeing that she wants to be invisible because you know she's playing the invisible woman 
And in, in, in reality, she really does want to be invisible. She curls up, and the one thing she wants is just to get away from everyone. And of course, Tobias has everyone curl up right next to her. And then she runs off, and Tobias sends everyone screaming after her. Tobias was just terrible to her. And lastly, I loved that Tobias as the thing in the rock costume is literally rock bottom for debris. The winner of the best main plotline of the season for me, it didn't change going from the original to going to a rewatch. It's got to be fake block. Excellent plotline here. It really is great the first time you're watching it that you have no idea that it's fake. The payoff on that is just excellent. And then it, it, it does get better once you're in on the joke and you're rewatching. It really does. It's, it's such an excellent plot. Uh, just some shout outs, some highlights from the fake block plot. P Hound buying the, the, the other blocks on his account and repeatedly saying, That was 99 cents times three. Was great. I'm a big P Hound fan. I thought he was great, so that adds to it for me. Uh, the idea of testing the other wood blocks and that they all sucked. But they did, and soon they realized what kind of competition they were up against. Well, these are a f***ing <laughs> joke. I know. <laughs> we're the mallet options. There's no choice of wood weight or grain type. There's no diameter hole option. I mean, what is this, baby talk? The escalation overall of George Michael going from this fake, a fake wood block to... It's incredibly complex anti-privacy and anti or no anti-piracy and a privacy software which just makes no sense in itself partnering this with the idea that the two things George Michael really wants in his relationship with his father right now is privacy and anti-piracy as his father is trying to steal his girlfriend throughout the season i thought george michael was one of the best characters in this whole season excellent as a whole great has little strong little jokes within it and then a strong overarching plot which brings in her maybe michael and multiple characters throughout really makes it one of the best plots the rest of it development has put out there so far Next, I want to talk about what I felt was the best bit of the season. For example, one of the ones I have on this list is the Tobias to catch a predator scenes. I just thought that was fantastic and that you could get John Beard to do that. And one of the best lines of the series so far. Is there a little girl here all by herself? And perhaps it was this that would finally get him to admit that he sometimes did speak in a misleading way. Daddy needs to get his rocks off. Another candidate for this award is the dorm vote with the twins bit where George Michael doesn't think the twins should be able to vote because they're going to vote for the same thing. And in fact, they vote opposite of each other just to prove a point. And then they just keep inviting more and more twins in and the vote keeps being split as it goes. And our next candidate, one of my favorite characters of Barry Zuckercorn, is him on trial at what appears to be a some kind of elementary school, I believe, 
or preschool and blah 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 is defending him and has one of the more classics blah 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 tongue twisters i can't reach it i can't reach the knob why is that mr zuckercorn i'm not tall enough you're I, not I, tall enough i can't reach the chachi hey should i try tippy toe look i'm on tippy toe if he can't reach this trial's a breach Ooh, and that's what we call a law bomb that's a low blow law blah a blah 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 law bomb our third contestant here is carl weathers who had really had a great season the idea that he makes Scandal Makers and then the fact that the final episode of Scandal Makers is about himself not securing the rights to the other Scandal Maker episodes. Ugh. <laughs> that is just too much. Michael was referring to the George Bluth Sr. episode of a horribly narrated crime reenactment series called Scandal Makers that Carl had directed years earlier. Did you retain the rights to my father's story? Nah, man. Rights cost money. I never bothered with that stuff. I figure you go ahead, you shoot it. Better to ask for forgiveness than beg for permission. As it turned out, Carl had never bothered to get either, which is why he made himself the subject of the final episode of the series. For the best bit of the season, I'm going to have to give it up to Michael and George Michael. Take this award home together. When they're at the Ealing Club and they're going back and forth about how they can't meet each other because of this fake traffic accident. Here's a clip. God, I just hope there are no kids on that plane. You know, they don't have any choice in the matter. Well, I'll tell you what, I feel worse for the parents, okay? Probably the kids thought that they could fly the plane all by themselves. Bet you 500 bucks they find a dead kid behind the stick. You know, or maybe on the dead dad's lap, whose only fault was loving that kid too much and letting him fly the plane. Next thing he knows, he's bouncing off the top of the sports chalet onto the express lane of the 605. Bet you 500 bucks. Now, before I get to the best one-liner of the season, I'd like to do one of my favorite awards i guess you could call it with the most low-key character but by low-key i just mean it can't be somebody who's part of the main crew or a main character so like an arrest development it can't be a bluth somebody who doesn't get that much attention but i thought really brought it every time they are on screen akin to a john ralphio in parks and rec my underrated character for season four has got to be Dr. Norman, played by John Slattery. John brings it every time he's on screen, whether it be mistranslating Heartfire, misdiagnosing George Sr. while huffing gas. I feel wrong <laughs> somehow. <laughs> and I'm becoming weak. Sorry, I had the old thinking cap on. Let's go to the lists. And doc or uh, misprescribing pills to debris unknowingly by <laughs> dumping everything into the bay during Cinco. Really great character, and I hope he's back for season five. That brings us to the best one-liner portion of the show. I'm going to play some of my favorite clips and then end with what I thought was the very best one-liner of the season. 
Let's start with... Hey, you've changed, you big pussy. You're acting like a little girl lately, and not in a good way. This just screams classic Barry. And speaking of screaming and classic, here's Tony Wonder. Now everybody's gay! This is kind of a double whammy as well, because this line is used again after... Tony and Job have sex at the end, and Ron Howard says that. And that's how Anne not only performed a real-life version of Tony's most beloved illusion, Now everybody's gay! but was responsible for the first recorded instance of a Christian straight-to-gay conversion. Now, here's a great one-two punch with Tobias and Job. Tobias? Job? see you old friend what have you been up to oh uh things are good nothing much i'm a registered sex offender but things are good yes yes i like the sex offender part with tobias but honestly i love when job just says yes yes like he, he truly understands he knows he's been through it or he's known people that have been through it one who hasn't been through it george michael has a great line in response to rebel and I've already got some birth control in me that I paid for myself, and I'd hate to let it go to waste. Oh, that's perfect, because I'm not quite ready to have children. Exactly what you wouldn't want to say after hearing that from Rebel, but exactly what George Michael would say. One of the lines that always gets a huge laugh for me, and I always forget is coming, is the Richter brother who is participating in the Fantastic Four play. And as they're rehearsing, he has this to say. Why aren't the Fantastic Four fighting anyone? Instead of just dancing around, you mean? Right, it's like it's all shards and no jets. Then we would have a second act. Lucia, right? I mean, that's their foe, Lucia Von Bardis. Have you guys ever even read one of these things? Andy Richter kills it in all six Richter brother roles on this show. Lastly... We have my favorite one-liner of the season, and again, one of my favorite one-liners, I think, ever. It's really a two-parter, so a two-liner, I guess you could say. Maybe I was cheating, but here we go. Without further ado, the best one-liner of the season. And that's when Tobias got some more bad news. Hello, anus tart. And she never even saw the license plate. I'm not sure who deserves more credit here, Ron Howard or Lucille's delivery, but both on point and, again, one of the biggest laughs of the entire series. Well, that'll wrap it up for Season 4 of Arrested Development. What a fantastic season of television. And how cool is it that we got a remix? Either way, if you love it, you hate it. Can we just agree that it's incredible and it's such a unique product, such unique content that he can re-edit it into a completely different format. He went from 15 episodes to 23 episodes different time 30 minutes to 20 minutes and we still get told the same story in a different way and it's incredible i don't know if there you can take any other television show and do that where you take an entire season cut it up in a different way 
and tell the same story and possibly in a in a better way. It's, it came out so good. It might be just as good as the original, if not better. I mean, there's no other t- television shows you could do that with, let alone have them even come out to be coherent at the end of the season. Well, that brings us to the end of our first episode of Talkin' TV. If you could be so kind, please leave a review or some kind of feedback so I know what to do better next time. Also, if you have any suggestions on what you would like to hear me cover in a future podcast, please feel free to write those in. And with that, this has been Mike Stein, Talkin' TV. Talkin' TV.